going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 64 coming at you guys today. A little bit of an MLB light for agency and trade. Kind of update, not much going on this last week, um, although we'll kind of get to maybe the future. This is kind of later this week coming up. Later in the episode, golf recap, obviously the NFL injury update, NHL stats week, and then we've got an NBA standings week. Then we'll obviously cap it off with the ice bath, but... Got to crank up the heat to start the podcast today. So I'll let Brett kick us off with his hot take and uh, get us started today. Yeah. Um, glad to get this episode out to y'all Tuesday morning. Um, big week of sports this past weekend. We won't cover football, obviously, but looking forward to this episode as we do have a lot of new content. Um, but yeah, my hot take today, NCAA, NCAA athletes should only be able to transfer once. Um, I mean, this is the time of the whole year when a ton of guys are entering the portal. We've seen seemingly more this year within the past week than we do every other year, and it's nowhere near done. We're going to see a ton of guys um, between now and New Year's uh, enter the portal as well, and then it's going to be recruiting season from there. Uh, a bunch of teams trying to get all these portal guys to their roster. Um, you know, some portal guys aren't going to find a home. Some guys aren't going to be playing college football next year uh, because they're going to be holding out for a certain level of offer that they're not going to get. And that's the unfortunate thing is a lot of guys think they're better than they are and unfortunately don't really end up on a roster. And sometimes a lot of these guys in the portal are better off staying, but they don't want to battle for a roster spot. They want to start. And so they kind of come out on the losing end unless you're a highly touted guy, which obviously there are those guys um, that are going to find a home pretty quick with tons of teams uh, calling them. But I think you should only be be able to transfer once. I get the portal. Uh, but it's gotten to a point where it's kind of being abused and you see guys transfer twice. A lot of guys are transferring twice, um, even more. But I think once is fine. You know, maybe you didn't commit to the right school out of, out of uh, high school and you want to go find that better home or you're playing at a higher or lower level than you expected. And you want to go uh, take advantage of that and go to a school that could use your talents um, better. So transferring once should be the limit, um, if at all. I mean, obviously not requiring you to transfer, but um, and then my other thing was kind of you only have five years of eligibility. I'm tired of seeing guys with like six, seven years of eligibility. I get the COVID year and now the COVID year is behind us um, after next season. Five years of eligibility should be the limit, regardless of if you redshirt. Um, whatever injuries you've had, five years should be it. Um, I just. Like I said, too many guys that are sixth, seventh year, and I get they want to play ball, but like at the end of the day, the game isn't going to develop as well and as smoothly if you have guys seventh year taking up second year guys that are playing pretty well in camp and are much younger and probably more athletic and obviously not as experienced. But at the high school level, experience only means so much because you can only be really between like 17 and 23 theoretically. Um, at the high school level. Now we have guys that are 26, 27 playing college football against 18 year olds. It's like, I don't really like that, nor should it be like allowed. I think five years of eligibility, regardless of your age, um, should be the rule. And I don't think we'll ever get there because medical red shirts, you know, if you don't play it down, they're going to give you the year back. So, um, so yeah, that's my take that you should only be able to transfer once and that once you enter college and enroll, you get five fall seasons and then you're done. All right. Um, I will say with the transfer one, um, I think I've run with them. I think you got, you get one transfer. Um, they've also made it pretty easy to get a waiver. So like, for example, DJ Uyunglele transferred from Clemson to Oregon state to play, uh, for the Oregon state head coach, um, whose name's going to escape me. His last name is Smith. Is it Jonathan Smith? Is that his name? Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. I knew it was a J. I didn't know if it was like J. I thought it was, I knew it was a J name. But so Jonathan Smith, um, Jonathan Smith leaves to take the Michigan State job. And DJ is basically like, kind of he's kind of SOL. He's out of luck because, you know, his, his head coach he goes to play for transfers. So in that case, he's in the portal. He's going to you know, get apply for a waiver and they're probably going to grant him one. So in those cases, like I'm okay granting a waiver. And I think that the current process and by which we're doing it is, is fair with the portal. So I'm with you there. The five years of eligibility thing is tough. Um, Cause I, I have a hard time knocking a guy who 
gets redshirted as a, as a true freshman. Um, so, you know, he comes in, there's, you know, say a Baron Morton, for example, or like a Will Hammond next year. Will Hammond comes in as a highly touted recruit. He comes in, he, he redshirts behind Baron Morton for a year at Texas Tech. And we're like Arch Manning. Arch Manning redshirts behind Quinn this year at Texas. Better, maybe more broad, broad stroke example for mainstream example. He redshirts behind uh, Quinn this year. And let's say next year, he so he transfers and he ends up at, let's say, Ole Miss or Tennessee or Georgia or wherever. Um, wherever he lands, let's say he starts for two years uh, and then he gets an injury that ends his season. I have a hard time not giving him a medical redshirt because he, he has an injury that ends his season. Or, you know, say he's three years in, he's got his, in his, four, his fifth and final year of eligibility, trying to go to the NFL he blows an Achilles or a knee in week one. Like, I think that's, I think six is the max. You get one medical redshirt and you get one regular redshirt. I think that's to me would be more fair because the injuries are out of guys control, right? Like that's, that's the one thing I would say, but I'm with you. I think the guys who have seven and eight years of eligibility, it's like, all right, at what point is there an, un, isn't there an unfair competitive advantage because Bo Nix, who's at Oregon or Michael Penix Jr., I mean, these guys aren't in like they're in one class and so all they do is spend time studying that's all they are all it's like studying game tape they're not doing class they're doing football like tyler shuck is at texas tech and wherever he is at his next stop like it's not a knock on tie like this is just i mean they let you do it this is the easiest the best way to do it but you know for example like tyler goes to say he goes to a ucf and at ucf he's in one online class that means it's asynchronous doesn't meet he has to turn in an assignment once a week and it takes up an hour of his week the rest of his time can be spent basically as a professional quarterback in in the film room with the o-line with his receivers like he's literally a professional quarterback at this point just playing in college um so again i'm not gonna knock the guys who do it and take advantage of it by all means if that's the process go for it but i personally think that that's a little egregious but again i think with the the injury thing i'm okay getting a six year of eligibility that said, it's got to be kind of a, I don't know if I was to say special case, but it's got to be a season-ending injury, like before week six of a season. Like you can't play half the year, or you can't play 11 games or 10 games. Like Jordan Travis can't get a medical redshirt for what happened this year. He only played 10, 10, 11 games. So in that case, um, I do think they can give a sixth year, but I'm, I'm with you. I think I'm tired. I'm not tired of it, but like I just think that at some point we've got to move on from these guys who are 27 and 26, and it's like. You're almost a decade older than the like. You're a generation above the guy, the freshman coming in. I just it feels a little unfair and it feels a little ridiculous. So I'm with you, but I think six is probably the, in my mind, the better number. But um, it's a hot take for a reason. Five years is is all it is for you. So um, right. respectable though. Um, my hot take this week is that the college football playoff committee got it right. Um, it's basically been like the hottest contested topic in in the sports world the last what 48 hours. Um. You know, I think it's an unprecedented situation, and I think the committee handled it well, and I applaud them for doing that. And while I'm gutted for the Florida State players, guys like Jared Verse, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, and even Tate Rodemaker, they made like they definitely deserved to be in the college football playoff. They definitely earned it. But that's not really the point of the playoff with four teams. The point is to get the four best teams. And we tried the whole thing where Oh, this team deserved it. They earned it with Cincinnati, and they got and they got boat raced. And again, it's not about leaving out an unbeaten ACC champion. It's about leaving out a team that is simply like put it this way: had Florida State not played with Jordan Travis all year, they wouldn't have been 13 and 0. I think, and I think that's a fair statement to make. I think based upon the two games they played without Jordan Travis, had Tate Rodemaker looked really, really good, and the offense looked really good with him against Florida, I think they get in. But they didn't, right? They, that, that's not what happened. Um, and I don't think they can hang with even the team. Like, And I – people say, like, oh, if, well, if they're not good enough, why are they at five? And I don't disagree with that take. I, I They probably are not the fifth-best team in the country. Um, that said, like, it's basically just semantics. One through 20 – or sixth or I guess five through 25 for power five teams is truly semantics. It doesn't matter. Um, the only thing that matters for is the G is the top rated G five team who gets a, a new year's six bowl. But other than that, like them being at five or six, it, like, I'm on, it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't care. Um, it's more about 
And frankly, they're at five to have the suspension on the on the show, right? So you could go one, two, three, six, and then oh, it's it's Florida State and it's Bama. Who's gonna get four? And the, you know what I mean? So I don't really care about where they're ranked outside of the top top four. All I know is, and again, I I feel horrible. It's like it is one. It's not their fault, and that we are punishing them for something out of their control. But ultimately, like that's that's we're not here to give out gold stars for great accomplishments. And I hate to say that. And that's what a 12-team playoff is for, frankly. That's for a team like a Florida State who is banged up but wins a big uh, an ACC title. It would have been like last year when Kansas State, with three or four losses, won the Big 12. They had gotten to buy in a 12-team format, and that's okay. That's 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 what it's for. So I don't know. I just I think they got it right. I wouldn't have wanted to see Florida State get smoked by Michigan because that's what would have happened. It just wouldn't have been close. So I think they got it right. It sucks for Florida State. But it's not some travesty, and we didn't set college football back 20 years. Like we didn't, we didn't violate the rules of the game. We didn't, we didn't, you know, this isn't a, an infraction upon the kind of the integrity of, of college football. It's not what it was. It's just simply put, like they weren't, they weren't a, one of the four best teams, and they didn't look the part at all. They, they didn't. So then um, the committee got it right. I applaud them for the way they did it, and I applaud them for the way they handled it, um, and the way they handled the scrutiny behind it. Again, everyone who's screaming and crying and kicking and screaming i don't know what to tell you life isn't fair the only person who has the right to do that are the florida state players and mike norvell that's it no everyone else needs to have some kind of some nuance and some understanding that are thinking that this just isn't that it's not a place for handouts that's not what we're doing that's not what the playoffs about so um again i feel bad for the Florida state kids but committee got it right and i applaud them for the way they handled again an unpressed like we've never we have never seen this before in the playoff era when Ohio State had a third-string quarterback, Cardell Jones was the third-string quarterback, and they rolled Wisconsin 59-6 to or whatever, or 13-59 to in in the Big 12 title game, or Big, or Big 10 title game. It wasn't close. They rolled. So, yeah, they looked the part. Had Tate, Mod- had Tate Rodemaker looked the part, no problem. They're in. So, um, couldn't get it right, and, I, and again, I applaud them for handling the situation well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is a tough situation, uh, regardless of the outcome, and I think I agree that they got it right. Um you know, I always think it should be the best four teams. And, I mean, Georgia and Oregon are still really, really good teams, and they didn't get in. I think they're both better than Florida State, and we're going to see that. Florida State's facing off uh, against Georgia in the Orange Bowl. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to see how deserving Florida State is against a really, really good team in Georgia. And, I mean, the college football playoff rules basically say that if an injury kind of hinders your performance then a record could be kind of arbitrary and you can't use that metric really as like as you normally would with a healthy roster so it's unfortunate um no doubt i think florida state going undefeated and not getting in um in a power five conference that has really good teams where they did have a top five win this year I think it's tough, um, no doubt, and it's something that we haven't really seen before. But like you said, uh, Cincinnati got in and looked really bad. The year before that, they were undefeated, I believe, and didn't get in. And there was a lot of, you know, kind of outrage and people wanting them to get in. And then you look at even last year, TCU went undefeated, but really didn't look great in any game outside of like one or two. And they got in and granted they won their semi although michigan basically handed them the game i mean michigan was the far more talented roster they got in the red zone like 75 percent. i think yeah 75 percent of their possessions and like three possessions that they got in the red zone red zone ended in a turnover so i mean they didn't have any problem moving the ball on tcu but tcu um, nonetheless won that game and went to the final and lost 65 to 7 so I think putting the best four teams in this year was a good uh, farewell to the four-team playoff, kind of getting the – we should have the best competition we've ever had in the four-team playoff, I think, in terms of point differentials. I don't think we're going to see a you know 40-point blowout like we normally do at least once a year. Normally the one versus four, which in this season is going to be Michigan versus Bama, normally we see a 40-plus point blowout in one of the three playoff games. And so I think this year – I don't know if we're going to see a 30-point blowout. I think every game's going to be within three scores probably, which 24 points would be three scores technically. And I think – I mean, I don't 
every game could be within 10 points, honestly. I mean, a lot of these teams have different strengths. There's a lot of intriguing matchups within um, each hypothetical matchup um, within the game. And so I think it'd be a really fun playoff. It should make for a couple great games on New Year's Day and then a great national championship on Monday, January 8th. But um, yeah, Florida State not getting in was unfortunate for them, but I understand it. And they still have a, a really, really good bowl game. And uh, I mean, still a big time matchup versus Georgia, which very easily could have been a playoff matchup, a one versus four a week ago. So um, it should it should be a really good game, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking to, forward to the bowl games as a whole that kick off uh, with the Myrtle Beach Bowl, I believe December 16th or something like that. Um, But yeah, looking forward to that. Before that, next, this upcoming weekend, the only football game is the Army Navy game. Um, That should be a fun one, should be a close one that they play every year. Um, But yeah, that's all we have this weekend, so we'll get to that on Thursday. But moving along here, we have MLB free agency. So uh, not a whole lot really this week. Um, Should pick up here in the next few days um, leading up to the new year. The Mariners traded outfielder Jared Kalinick, left-handed pitcher Marco Gonzalez, and first baseman Evan White to the Braves for right-handed pitchers Cole Phillips and Jackson Coar. Um, the Mariners are trying to get rid of their whole payroll, basically. It seems like um, bringing in younger guys. I don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. Um, I think they should have made a push this offseason, but I think um, across the organization, they thought they were going to be a lot better than this year than they ended up being. Um, and they kind of, I guess, altered their um, kind of long-term plans. And I don't know what they plan on doing, um, you know, obviously in a tough division with the last two world champions. But I think they should still make a run um, for probably not the division, but at least the wild card, if not the division, if they're really competitive, you know, you never know what could happen. But yeah, getting a lot of money off the books. And I think, um, I don't know what their plans are. I don't know if they can make a big move, but their moves haven't really added up. And I just don't really get the direction that they're going. I mean, we've said it before on this podcast. I don't know what the Mariners are doing. And I, and I, it's kind of a, a it's a funny word to use because it gets thrown on Twitter a lot. But like, they are very unserious. They have, I mean, they, so, I mean, we said it last week when they traded, uh, their third baseman to the to the Diamondbacks. I don't, I just don't see the the vision here. I get that Jared clinic has been not not has. You rephrase, he's in no way, shape, or form been the number one, number two prospect people thought he would be. That said, he's been a good player for them, and I and I there's a, you can even when you watch him play, there's a lot of that potential still inside of him. I don't, I wouldn't rule out him becoming. A, a really, really, really good piece for them at some point. So um, the other pieces here, Mark, Mark and Gonzalez are already getting released by the Braves and going back. Evan White, uh, no idea if he's going to do anything for them. And then Cole Phillips and Jackson Coar. Again, these aren't major league names for the most part. These aren't huge impact names. Um, Kalenic is obviously the big one because he's a, a former highly, pro, highly touted prospect. But it just, to me, I don't see what the benefit for the Mariners is. Um and I'm unsure of their of what their plan is long term. Again, they've got a guy on that roster in Julio Rodriguez who's arguably the second most talented player in baseball behind just naturally gifted player in baseball outside of Ronald Acuna Jr. And I think some would argue he's even more talented than than Acuna. I don't I don't know if I'd agree, but I don't I wouldn't stop them from making the argument. Um, he's one of the brightest stars in this league, and I think the guy's going to win multiple MVPs by the time he's by the time he's done. I just I don't know what they're doing, not trying to build around him. Um, so, yeah, the Mariners, like I said, we've said time and time again on this podcast, I don't know what they're doing. They're unserious. They they appear to have no plan, and it doesn't appear to be a cohesive plan either. So maybe they're going to try to take a step back, kind of like the Mets are right now, take a step back for a year or two, and then kind of stockpile and rebuild and could be competitive in 2025, 2026. But, again, not sure what they're doing. Um New York Mets and right-handed pitcher Luis Severino agreed to a one-year, $13 million contract. Severino follows his bench coach over from the Yankees to the Mets. Um, again, I think this is a solid deal for the Mets. They need to start pitching. Um, they've been in on on Yoshinubu, Yoshinubu, Yoshinubu Yamamoto. Um, tongue twister. I was late night doing homework, so I'm 
brain's a little foggy this morning, but um, yeah, they've been in on, in on Yamamoto. Um, they that's really the only free agent that they seem to have been in on. There, I don't think they've been in on Snell. I don't think they've been in on. Um, they weren't in on Aaron Nola. So curious to me as to why it's just Yamamoto. Um, Severino's a good get for them though. I think obviously a guy who had a lot of ups and downs last year. Kind of seemingly that was everybody in the Yankees bulk in the Yankees uh, rotation outside of Garrett Cole. So um, good get for the Mets. I think again provides you some back end starting rotation kind of depth as a maybe a four or five starter. Um, maybe as a as a as a three starter. Um, I guess we'll kind of see how that plays out. But to me, very much a one year prove it deal for Severino and um, feels like a good deal for both sides here. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, heading heading across the subway, like you said, to uh, the Mets organization, and after a year really struggled in with the Yankees, uh, had a, over a six ERA and never really got in a groove for more than a couple starts at a time. Um, should be looking for him to kind of revitalize that Mets rotation, and which they got rid of a lot of guys. Um, no doubt still have a good rotation, but him being a number three starter is probably where he's going to land in that rotation. And I just hopefully he turns it around. Um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I don't know. And the Mets are another team that this is a big year for them in terms of the direction they're going to go. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then left-handed pitcher Wade Miley, he signed back with the Brewers on a one-year deal. Um, base salary of seven mil. And then for 2025, it's a mutual option for 12 mil. So the team and Wade uh, have to agree to stay together for another year. And I think that's honestly a pretty good signing for them. Um, Obviously, knowing that staff, well, different head coach, but knowing that staff um, and and on most of those players is helpful. And I mean, he should be another good piece in that rotation. A guy that's kind of had up and down career, um, a fairly long one, though. And I think he can get in a groove uh, being in, you know, not moving around as frequently. Should be able to help him out. And yeah, I mean, look for him to have a good year. He's always a guy, at least when he was on the Orioles, that kind of got better as the season progressed. So uh, might have a rough start to the year, but we'll see how it goes as the season progresses. That guy's been around, like you said. Um Interesting, a lot of different places. Going back to Milwaukee is interesting. Um, haven't gotten the details on the contract. I know there's a, there's a mutual option, I believe, for year two. Um, but, yeah, just, again, this is depth for the Brewers. It's kind of still waiting to see what happens on the on the Brandon, on the the Corbin Burns front. I know Brandon Woodruff is going to miss all over it, it, most of, if not all of the season with uh, UCL repair, Tommy John surgery. So, um, again, this is a guy who's going to get bulk innings for them at the on their major league club. Um, they need it. Again, we're still waiting to kind of see what happens on the Corbin Burns front. Um, I'll kind of pre- I'll preview what I'm going to say later in my ice bath, but we're going to see a lot of movement in the next week. And I think that Corbin Burns is a guy who I don't, I don't think we can see a trade for him during winter meetings or kind of just after, but I think we get a very good kind of, kind of check on the temperature and kind of the pulse of how the Braves uh, Braves, the Brewers feel, um, about moving him, and, and I think we're going to get a really good sense for what that market will look like and how it's going to shape up after winter meetings this week. I believe they end on the 7th. Um, they go Monday through Friday this week. Um, but, again, I won't, I won't take too much time. I want to have a good conversation about this kind of my ice bath. So, uh, But, yeah, Corbin Burns is a situation that I think we get a lot of clarity on. Not a resolution, but a lot of clarity on um, in the coming week. I hope so. I mean, I've been wanting content, um, or at least some yeah. movement in the MLB. Real, real so slow. We, we, we just spent time talking about Jared Kalenic as a as a as a centerpiece to a trade. Come on, man. We just right. gotta get something going here. I know. All right, moving off MLB for the time being. Uh, moving on to golf. Last weekend, uh, we had the Hero World Challenge. It's in New Providence, Bahamas, at the Albany Resort. Purse was smaller at four and a half mil, and last year and in 2021, Victor Hovland won the event. But this year, he failed to three-peat, unfortunately for him. Uh, the loaded field of just 20 players, it saw only nine players break 10 under for the week on the par 72 course. Scotty Scheffler, who's the number one ranked golfer in the world, won the event by three shots over Sepp Straka at 20 under. Um, Sepp obviously finished at 17 under. Scotty shot 69, 66, 65, and 68 on Sunday. Um, Tiger Woods made his first start since the Masters in early April. He finished 18th out of 20th. 
but um, good to see him back. Will Zalatoris also returned to the field, and he finished dead last, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I mean, both those guys are trying to get back in the rhythm of playing every week, or at least in Will's case, playing every week. Tiger's case, playing once a month. But nonetheless, um, it's a different game when you get to the PGA and you know you have fans and stuff like that, as opposed to just playing at your your own course or whatever. Um, Tiger finished even far across the week shooting a 75, 70, 71, and 72. So um, outside of that Thursday round, he played fairly well. Um, so yeah, overall, pretty good tournament in terms of what that tournament, tournament normally is. Um, that will wrap up the 2022-2023 PGA Tour season that began 15 months ago in early September 2022. The 2024 PGA season, which will consist of just 36 tournaments, about eight less than the usual 44. That will begin on January 4th as the PGA reverts to a calendar year schedule for the first time in 12 years. The Century Tournament in Hawaii will kick off the tour schedule, but we will preview that in a couple of weeks. Um, should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to next year's PGA. They have events that are interconnected like they haven't really done before. Um, just kind of help spice up the drama and stuff like that make it make it more interesting to a lot of people that don't love watching golf um obviously that's kind of in response to what the live has done in some degree um obviously two very different tours still but as i kind of partner and do a few things together this is a little um alteration that the pga tour is making and then also they have some more important events than others outside of the majors. So obviously the majors are the most important, but even within the non-majors, they are elevating some events to carry more weight in the total standings in terms of like the FedEx Cup standings where each player earns a certain number of points every week. Um, if you play the right weeks and you play well um, in the right events, then you'll find yourself towards the top of the FedEx Cup standings when the year or the, when the season concludes in September. Um, the elevated events... I mean, they're going to be the Pebble Beach, the Genesis Invitational, um, Arnold Palmer, RBC Heritage, Wells Fargo, the Memorial, and the Travelers. Um, so a lot of storied events across the PGA Tour schedule, and I'm looking forward to them. Um, like I said, should be a fun way to kind of um, bring more attention to the PGA Tour and to golf as a whole, as it's kind of just, you know, an event that most people don't choose to watch um, as opposed to other events. I mean, I w I'm not going to watch it over um nfl or mlb most of the time but i you know if nothing's on i really enjoy watching golf and i'll be looking forward to watching it even more next season so looking forward to that um as the pga continues to evolve and you know how they structure their game and you mentioned kind of the pga trying to you don't want to say up the drama but just kind of up the ante a little bit and um up the reason to watch right i mean a lot of people like watching you know, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, you know, pick the sport they like to watch. It all ultimately become boils down to the fact that it's high stakes. I mean, the Michigan-Ohio State game was by, I believe, almost 10 million viewers, the most viewed football game of the year. It's the highest stakes game of the year. So um, I think kind of making golf a little more higher stakes um, on a on a tournament tournament basis is, is ultimately the end goal for the PGA, which is um, in turn leads to increased viewership and um, kind of like I talked about when this merger happened with Live and PGA, um, kind of like I can still kind of in limbo, but when it was first announced, what feels like six, eight months ago, I feel like now, um, you know, ultimate goal is to grow the game and that's ultimately why it happened. Um, we can talk about kind of the behind the scenes stuff, what we want, but ultimately they want to grow the game. Um, that's kind of, again, it's glad to see that they're looking to do that and, um, whether that's through the live or not, they're still looking to grow the game and obviously, um, it's on the forefront of their mind is, as I think it is for most leagues, but again, I think the PGA specifically is really looking to have initiatives to grow the golf game. And that's a great part of it, like you mentioned. So um, I'm looking forward to the golf season starting up again, kind of getting tournaments regularly. Um, like Brett, I'm not as, I'm not nearly the, the golf fan that Brett is, but I will throw golf on when it's on, um, especially when there's a tournament where like a guy that I know has performed well through, like, for example, Colin Moore or Kyle was one of my favorite golfers. If I know he's shooting well the first two days, I'll watch round three and four, see how he finishes, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Um, again, another, another sport that I want to watch a little more of while I have time to. So uh, certainly going to be uh, having more golf on this year. 
Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, should be a lot of fun as that kickoff season in about a month. Um, moving on to NFL here, we did have one signing. So the Colts cut linebacker Shaq Leonard, who's a former All-Pro. Uh, I believe this is his sixth season. He did sign a one-year deal with the Eagles. Um, I believe that just means he's going to finish out this year and then become a free agent. So the Eagles get a piece for you know, what they hope is a long playoff run. Um, so there's that. And then, of course, on Tuesdays, we have an injury update. So this past week, yet again, we see a lot of guys go down with an injury. Um, a good bit of quarterbacks this week, Derek Carr, Kenny Pickett. Um, got on the list should be fairly quick in terms of new injuries that are going to sideline guys for at least a couple weeks. So the Texans receiver, Tank Dell, um, he's already over 700 receiving yards. He's been really good. He fractured his left ankle. Um, it could be a high ankle but he's out probably 12 weeks. So um, he, that's going to end his season, but he should be good to go for training camp, OTA, stuff like that. Patriots from Andre Stevens, Stevenson, their running back, another high ankle sprain. Um, he did have MRI and should be out a few weeks. Maybe they hold him out the rest of the season. We'll see. He probably could come back the final game, but we'll see how they want to go about that. Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett, um, another guy with the high ankle. Might need a procedure on that. Um, he could come back. Probably He probably misses two games, if not three, um, as they have a quick turnaround Thursday night. Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter against the Patriots in Pittsburgh. Um, the Saints quarterback, Derek Carr, got another concussion, and he's dealing with a slew of other injuries, including a wrist, shoulder, and back. Um, he's probably going to miss this upcoming game and come back in a couple weeks. Titans running back, Derek Henry, concussion protocol, probably um, – misses this upcoming week but ty j spears has played really well so really no worries for um the titans overall team performance the rams receiver puka nakua he went out in the game yesterday with injury but returned and he should be fine next week amari um, cooper concussion protocol and he might not play next game the commanders running back brian robinson um, had a pretty good game but suffered a hamstring strain um probably out a few weeks Antonio Gibson's probably going to be their starter in um, Robinson's absence. Seahawks rookie running back Zach Charbonnet suffered a knee injury. Um, not a ton of details, but Kenneth Walker should be back next week. So, um, you know, not a whole lot of worry for the Seahawks, who, you know, are kind of in a slump right now, but still pushing for a wild card spot. Rams tight end Tyler Higby concussion protocol. I know he banged up his wrist pretty good as well. He might be out this week. Um, Really no ruling on that yet. And then Eagles, Jalen Hurts with concussion and CJ Stroud uh, left the game. They don't really know what the diagnosis was for Stroud, um, but Stroud's probably fine. Jalen Hurts probably plays. Um, I'm assuming they play next Sunday night he sh or Sunday um, at some point. So he should be fine. We'll see. He might miss a game if one. Um, and then Packers receiver Christian Watson with a right hamstring strain. Um, it's his fifth hamstring strain since 2021, and he probably misses a game, if not two, but should be back for the last few games of the year. Um, yeah, unfortunate for those guys. Um, that's fairly a fairly short list in comparison to what we have seen, just because of a lot of the injuries really haven't come out with like diagnosis or recovery timelines yet. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate. I know we touch on it and I'm not going to really talk about it again, but they, the league just should figure out something to do to help protect these guys. Um, I don't really know what measures they need to go to, whether it's a change in the schedule, just playing a couple of fewer games and changing the playing service, changing the equipment, um, changing the rules. There's a lot of stuff that they can do without taking the fun of the game away like they honestly have this year. And obviously taking the fun away and trying to be more protective has, I mean, evidently made it worse and led to more injuries for guys. So we'll see what they do. But, yeah, a lot of injuries. Um, I know TJ Watt went down as well, but he um, probably could have came back in and just didn't, given that they were getting beat pretty badly. So he should be fine next week. But, yeah, it's unfortunate um, that all these guys are going down, especially, you know, for the most part on teams that are trying to push for a playoff spot. I just want to mention, maybe not an injury, but like, we're not going to mention the ref who got yeah. lit. Like, 
I actually feel bad. Like I think Burrow's leg might actually be broken. Um, it looked real bad. Um, he got taken out. Not a ref. Sorry, not the ref. The chain gang. He got on the chain. Got on the chain gang. Um, he. Uh, I think he was holding like the first down marker. Um, yeah. on, like an Alvin Kamara. Like just he got tackled into him. Took him out. His leg was like bent the other way. Not did not look good. He was like writhing in pain. It's awful. Um, I want to get an update on that guy for sure. Other than that, I mean, injuries that par for the course this week. Nothing crazy. Um, outside of the outside of the chain gang guy, yeah, outside of that, uh, nothing crazy. So, um, like I said, Jalen Hurts probably the biggest one. I think he plays next week. So, I mean, need him to play. Um, probably plays in a limited capacity, but I'm sure he does. So, um, yeah, like you said, not a crazy week. Other than the other than the chain gang guy, not a crazy week this week. Um, getting into our NHL stats update this week. Um, we got points, goals. Save percentage and team power play percentage up on deck. I'll start us off with points here. Uh, we have Quinn Hughes of the Vancouver Canucks at, at number five, 34 points. Artemi Panarin of the Rangers at 35 points. JT Miller of the Canucks at 36 points. Tied with David, David Pasternak of the Boston Bruins. I believe that's his name, 36. And then uh, Nikita Kucherov of the Tampa Bay Lightning up the top at 40 points here. Um, it's always always interesting to watch the kind of the points rankings because these fluctuate a lot. Um, I mean, obviously it's, you know, four points between one and two, but I can change I mean, shooting a game. And then obviously between two and, and five, it's, it's two points. So um, certainly going to be interesting to watch because it's kind of how this plays throughout the season. And um, wouldn't shock me if we saw a good bit of change throughout this list, um, just kind of game to game as we go throughout the year. Yeah, like you said, a lot of fluctuation on this list. I think Kucherov and Pasternak were both on the list, This uh, the past rankings that we did every three weeks, so three weeks ago. Um, but moving on to goals here. So um, Panarin is on the goals list as well with 15. Uh, Kucherov is tied with Panarin at, um, for fourth with 15. Austin Matthews, who was in the lead um, the last time we did this, is – Tied for second with 16, tied with Sam Reinhart of the Panthers um, at 16, and then Brock Bozer um, of the Canucks at 17. So you're going to see a lot of the guys for the most part on the goals and points list, unless there's just a guy with like a crazy number of assists and not a lot of goals. Um, but yeah, uh, another another list is going to fluctuate a lot just with how frequent you have games and how much ice time guys are having uh there's going to be a lot of movement on these lists really throughout the whole year i don't think we're going to see a ton of separation until the last couple of weeks yeah i'm with you there like you said um goals leaders we may not see a ton of separation here but um certainly going to see these kind of these names here at the top as we continue to go down the season um getting here to save percentage and the nhl just does me wrong with some some of the names i'm, I'm trying my hardest not to butcher some of the names, um, Semyon Varlamov of the New York Islanders, sent at number five with a 92.6% save percentage. Cam Talbot of the LA Kings at 93%. Jeremy Swayman of the Boston Bruins at 93.2%. Charlie Lindgren at for the Washington Capitals at a 93.4%. And just beating him out on the top spot is Aiden Hill of the, of the Las Vegas Golden Knights at a 95.3%. So, you know, we've got point. 0.5 for half a percent separating four and four and one here. Um, some really quality goalie play this year for these five guys, obviously. And then um, curious to see if we have anyone else kind of, I didn't look at who six was, um, but curious to see kind of what we've seen anyone else jump into the top five here um, in the next three weeks. Yeah. You know, having a good goaltender can really be a difference maker. You see really since the Knights came to be what, six years ago, they've always had good goaltending. And then, the Caps with Lindgren in second right now. Um, he's kind of been what sparked their run. They started off pretty cold, went on a big run. The past couple games, um, past three games, I think they've kind of dipped back. But, I mean, a goaltender can be just vital for a good team. Normally always has a good goaltender. You can't really get far with that one. And, uh, I mean, that's a stat that really should fluctuate given, you know, percentages with how many shots those guys face and, it should, it should be one that has a lot of movement down the stretch. I think four of these five guys weren't on the list three weeks ago. So that goes to show you um, how much movement there is there. And then to round out the NHL stats update, we have team power play percentages. So the percentage of um, times that a team is at least one man up, that they put the puck in the net before 
um, it is all even. In fifth, we have the Edmonton Oilers um, with a 26.6% power play goal. Um, Vancouver Canucks, 27.5 power play percentage. The New York Rangers with an even 30%. Tampa Bay Lightning in second with 31.8. And then far and away in first, um, as they were three weeks ago, the New Jersey Devils with a 36% power play percentage. So um, 27 power play goals, pretty impressive tied with the lightning grant the lightning have had a lot more power plays that's why the percentage is lower um so yeah this is another huge aspect hence why we highlight it um in the stats that really correlate to overall not only season success but postseason success um so yeah look for these five teams to kind of make a run and we'll see how these stats fluctuate these probably won't fluctuate as much um just with you know, all these different teams having vastly different number of power plays just with penalties and stuff. So these probably won't fluctuate a lot. I mean, given the Devils have been at the top the whole year. So, um, so yeah, that'll pretty much do it for the NHL stats update. Moving on to NBA this week, we have a standings update. Um, I'll let you run down the East and then I'll hit the West. Um, but yeah, a good bit of movement since we last did this, especially in the West. Eastern Conference here, nothing crazy at the top, going from 10 to 1 here, given that, you know, we get uh, six teams locked into the playoffs and then four teams at 7 through 10 in the play-in. So quickly through here, the Hawks sit at 10, at 9 and 10. We've got the Brooklyn Nets at number 9, sitting at 10 and 9. We've got the Heat and the Cavaliers tied at number 7 here with 11 and 9 records. Pacers at, at uh, 10 and 8, sit at number 6. The Knicks and the Sixers tied at number four. It's four slash five. I guess they have a tiebreaker there, but um, same record at 12 and seven. And then again, here it's tied at two with the Magic and the Bucks at 14 and six. And then Celtics still set atop the conference at 15 and four, having started the year really, really hot, have not lost in the Garden this year. So it's uh, something to watch for them for sure. Yeah, I mean, hot start, tied for the best record in the league. At 10th, we have the Houston Rockets. This is in the West. Um, Tensely have the Houston Rockets eight and nine, tied with the um, Clippers in ninth. That are both six games back. Clippers are nine and ten. Pelicans are eleven and ten. The Lakers are twelve and nine. Um, in sixth, we have the Mavs at eleven and eight. The Suns are in fifth at twelve and eight. The Kings are in fourth, eleven and seven, three and a half games back, as are the Suns. In third, the Nuggets have dropped down from first, fourteen and seven, after I believe like eleven and two start. Um, they're two back. The Thunder are in second at 13 and six, two back. And then the Timberwolves tied with the Celtics for the best record in the league at 15 and four. Uh, they lead the West by two games. Another situation where both these standings are going to fluctuate a lot before the season concludes, um, about May. It really comes down to just, I think more so offense nowadays than defense. I mean, I think the average score, final score for a team is probably like 110, 115. I mean, there's a lot of instances this season, especially where we've seen teams have 100 before the third quarter ends and they end up losing and stuff like that. So I, I really think if you have a good defense, you can kind of take advantage and kind of use that as an advantage over the rest of the league that across the board doesn't. I mean, not a lot of guys play defense anymore. And if you have a really good offense, you got to exploit it and, you know, make it great and so um i think that's what we've seen with the timberwolves and thunder i mean they both have guys that can score at will pretty much and even the nuggets and kings i mean the top four teams and then that's leaving out the suns and mavericks who have two um all world players as well so if you don't have a like a top-notch score you're not going to get far in this league and i say that and there's teams with top-notch players that still um, are struggling record-wise and are struggling to um, pull wins out at the end of the game and hold on to big leads. And we're seeing a lot of teams, um, you know, blow leads and come from behind and stuff like that. And that's why I think the Timberwolves and Celtics are such a good record because they know how to hold on to a lead. They know how to defend when it matters. And I think that's what it's going to come down to at the end of the day. And that's why I picked the Bucks and Nuggets because – or the Bucks and Nuggets to go to the finals because they had – really good rosters they play defense they have depth and experience and that's what it takes and i think we're going to see some fluctuation the rest of the way no doubt but that's what it's going to take i think to make a run this year yeah it's gonna start with defense it, it kind of always does uh, we see 
teams that play really good defense make playoff runs because they can get stops, especially late in games. So, um, like you said, there's going to be a lot of fluctuation, especially in the, in the West. Um, basically, from shoot, but me from from four down um, should be a lot of fluctuation. So, again, in the Eastern Conference too, um, things are pretty tight there. I just I I, I see this group. The, the Western Conference feels more open to me, as opposed to where I look at the East and I go, I really feel like. Boston, Milwaukee, and the Sixers really get a lead on people. And again, if the, if the Magic keep playing well, um, led by Paolo Bancaro, I can see them really getting hot and again separating as well. So again, in the West, like, you, you really never really know. I mean, the Timberwolves obviously off to a hot start. Uh, the same with the Thunder, although they're going to have some question marks, I think at some point, um, kind of giving some off the court stuff. Denver Nuggets obviously are the kind of the team to be. I think the entire NBA still. Um, then you get through Kings, Suns, Mavericks, Lakers, Pelicans. Like, who knows? These teams are very streaky, um, so we'll see. So a lot of fluctuation, I think. Certainly from, uh, you know, every every few weeks here, I think ultimately it's going to be a, maybe a month or two before we see some real separation at the top, especially in the West, like you said. Um, but that wraps up the pod, kind of what we had for content today. Uh, kind of a lighter day. I, at least in my mind, I kind of wanted to save so much conversation in the MLB for now. Um I think we both, yeah, we both have uh, ice baths today that are baseball related. I mean, I'll start, I'll start with mine because I know that this mine's going to lead into Brett's. Um, we're going to get some real movement this week um, on the on the free agency front, even the trade front. Um, I fully expect for Shohei Otani to have signed and be in his new home by next week's pod. Um, people are talking about even as early as Thursday, so I mean, we're definitely we are full on like on Shohei watch. Um, same with Yamamoto, I think at this point. Um, I think they both have new homes by the time we record next week on Monday. Monday, yeah, probably Monday. <laughs> well, we'll see when we record next week because I've got Saturday morning exam and then I have two Tuesday exams for my finals. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I don't know what Brett's schedule is. We haven't. We have not talked about our final schedules. Um, we have a lot of other stuff to talk about usually. <laughs> um, so I'm sure we'll we'll either get it get it done uh, either maybe Tuesday evening or. Uh, Maybe like a Tuesday release, Tuesday evening release, or we'll get a, a um, we'll get like a Monday morning at some point. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Either way, I'll be getting a pod probably on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday morning at the latest next week. But either way, I think by Monday, show has signed. By the time the weekend is over, we get two weeks from today, he's gonna have signed. I think the same goes for Yamamoto. Um, and I think kind of based off that, like once show once the Shohei domino falls, the hitters kind of go like Cody Bellinger signs, Jorge Soler signs, Matt Chapman signs. Like we're gonna see a bunch of guys. And dominoes start to fall, and then um, again, same goes for Yamamoto. He's going to be the first to sign because I 100% think, as has been reported, that Blake Snell is 110% going to play off of what Yamamoto gets. Whatever he gets, Blake Snell is going to try and kind of match or get close to, or get you go past it. Um, that said, in my mind, I don't think Blake Snell is going to get a Garrett Cole kind of contract because that's what I think Yamamoto is going to get. So, um, don't think he gets a Garrett Cole. $3 million contract like uh, Yamamoto might. But again, once Yamamoto signs, then Snell goes. And then we get into, all right, who's going to land Dylan Cease? Who's going to land Corbin Burns? Who's going to land Tyler Glass now? Guys like that. I personally think that the Braves are going to land Cease. I think they're, most, they're the most motivated. I think he's a, you know, he's a Georgia native. They feel like the most motivated to land him. Um, that said, I think the Dodgers are certainly going to be in play. I think you look at Corbin Burns is maybe more of a spot for the Dodgers than as opposed to the Braves. Um, so I think that's maybe how that goes. But I'm I'm certainly certainly curious to see how that goes, and I'm I'm excited to get some news. Like I said, like I mean, like we both said, but I mean, Brett alluded to it's been real slow um, in the in the free agency kind of world and the trade world. So winter meetings usually picks up. I think we're going to see a lot kind of happen this week. Judge signed a couple of days. I think it was a Tuesday or a Thursday, maybe a Wednesday. The arson judge report came out. And then I believe later that day, like or the subsequent, you know, following day, he signed with the Yankees. So um, this is really when it heats up. It's in Nashville this year, so um, a lot of folks out in Nashville. I will say I just saw the tweet. Dave Roberts had done an interview on the MLB Network, basically saying that Mookie Betts is going to be the everyday second baseman. So um, going to be interesting to see what the Dodgers do in the outfield because they've got, you know, they've got Outman, they've got Chris Taylor, James, or James Outman, Chris Taylor. Jason Hayward's back, but they need another guy. So curious to see what they do after, after Shohei signs, whether they sign him or not. Um, be curious to see what happens there. But, yeah, man, it's going to be um, awesome. I'm super pumped about the next week of, of baseball content. It's going to be um, a vastly different league a week from now, so I'm, I'm pumped for sure. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to some. Um, 
I'm not expecting anything from my team, but the Orioles reportedly have interest in Dylan Cease, the pitcher from the White Sox, who had a really, really good um, season last year, kind of took a step back this year, but not going to get my hopes up until we do sign someone or re-sign or extend one of our own guys for more than the arbitration, three mil a year, whatever it is. Um, we have made a big move since signing Chris Davis in January of 2016 for 23 mil a year, which is all but big nowadays. So I'm, I'm looking for us to do something. Um, I mean, I would be fine with Cease. I don't know if he would. I mean, really, Cease might be the number three guy in our rotation next year, just with the way it's shaking out, which I would love. I mean, that would give us three pretty solid starters. And I mean, I'm looking for a reliever as well, but I mean, I can't hope for too much given their track record. Um, you know, kind of one, maybe two deals is really all I can hope for. But like I said, I'm not expecting anything so that if something does happen, I'll be pleasantly surprised. But we'll see in the next couple of weeks if they do decide to make a move, whether that be a trade, as they have a ton of prospects, you know, best farm system. And they no doubt have untouchable guys, but still um, some guys that I think they would be willing to part ways with as, you know, not everyone's going to make it on the field in Baltimore. So, um hopefully they do bring someone in we'll see really looking forward to this upcoming you know three four weeks on the mlb front but that pretty much wraps it up um episode 64 today um which means we'll have a thursday turf talk coming out on thursday um that's good uh, we're going to kind of preview some big bowl games obviously the new year's six pick out a few others including text game and then the full all 15 games of the NFL um, week 14 should be a fun one on Thursday. I used to go through the rankings update and stuff like that and give a, give our thoughts on the final of CFP rankings. But yeah, really looking forward to that episode. Um, enjoyed today's as well. Uh, make sure y'all follow us on X, uh, Twitter and Instagram at cold seat podcast. Um, we're going to be updating y'all on, on the biggest MLB moves with our thoughts on there. And of course, if anything else goes down, we'll probably cover it. Um, yeah, kind of have everything covered across the board. I think that's it. And we'll see you on a couple days. See you guys soon.